Welcome to Bigger Than the Game with Deremy and Jose. I'm Deremy Dove. I'm joined by the man himself, the legend, <laughs> Mr. Jose Ruiz. What's going on, man? What's going on, Deremy, man? It's good to see you, man. It's always good to be on the show. It's always. It is. It is. It's good to. This is our first recording. I know we've put out episodes, but our first recording in 2023. So it's uh, we're going on to year three for Bigger Than the Game. Yeah, man, this week, yeah, it's exciting news, and and again, it's been fun. I I know we've had a few things going on, you know what I'm saying, like throughout the three years, but definitely, you know, it's recent, you know, like end of 2022 into 2023, but it looks like we're rolling again, and um, definitely excited. Championship, NFL championship weekend coming up, some great games, man, and it's all it's all good. NFL football yeah. is hot right now, and that's true, man. And it's championship Sunday you know, this weekend, and it's such a fun time. And I do think it's just like, there's something about it. It's like those two, those conference title games, those two Titan teams kind of battling it out and trying to see like who's going to the big dance. And it had both of us thinking about, you know, doing a great championship game. And there's so many to do. It's hard to pick. There's a lot of them. But, you know, we're coming up on around 10 years since the Legion of Boom kind of really first laid down their track and kind of shook the NFL up and they gave us great players, great personalities, great moments, great games, but also a great rivalry. And Jose, I want to let you talk about it because this is one, like when we talked about it, you lit up this Seahawk 49er rivalry. Yeah. I, I loved it, you know, and I I was all about it, you know, and yeah, and then that's what we're going to do. We're, we're looking at, you know, 49 Seahawks between 2011, 2014, let's just say. And, um, you know, because if you're a newer generation to, you know, watching football, like this, these these two were not, you know, division rivals for 30, 40 years. Like we're looking at like Eagles, Cowboys, Packers, Bears, like things like that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like this is a, this is more of like a newer like rival. It was like early two thousands when Seattle came over from the AFC West to the NFC West, and you know, then you you know they're playing 49ers, Rams, et cetera, et cetera. And um, but in this in this time, man, like this this was probably I looked at it like almost like throwback football, right? Because you know at this time you got Peyton Manning in Denver, you know doing all everything they were doing there, and you know Brady and Breeze, and you know you had all these quarterbacks putting up all. the these crazy numbers and then you had these two teams who were built very very similar and we'll get into all that but you know but they predominantly built on defense you know physical defense you know they would get flying to the ball and you know we hear we hear all those cliches with a lot of coaches but these two teams definitely had that and, and you talked about personalities there me both of these teams had that not only as players but coaches as well you know they had a tremendous hall of fame talent on both of these teams so it was just when these two teams played each other, it, it just went up a notch. And it was like both these two defenses were trying to outdo each other. And it, it was just beautiful football to watch, physical football. Man, it was just a fun, fun time to watch these two teams play. And we're looking at that rivalry, like, you know, about 2011 to 2014. But we're highlighting right. the biggest game of it, that 2013 NFC Championship game. And, Jose, I, I guess for me – would you say since 2010, has this been the best rivalry in football, in your opinion? Since 2010, yes. Um, I know Steelers, 
Ravens, we were talking about earlier before we jumped on, has been pretty good. Um, but at this point, you know, like that's that's starting to die down a little bit. Not die down because I know those two fan bases really don't get along. But these two teams, I mean, when we're when we're again, we'll get into this. But in this stretch, like these are the two teams that were representing the, the NFC for a couple years in a row there. So I would say a hundred percent yes. No, I think it's interesting because I won't. Colts, people say, I've seen people say, like, oh, Broncos, Patriots in this time. And I feel like, no, like that yeah. was Manning Brady continued. But I think of the rival, like, Colts, Patriots was a rival. That's yes. that's the rivalry of, to me, of since 2000 was those Colts, Patriots, Broncos was like, oh, it's Brady and Manning. But those teams didn't really have it like that. No. Um, Steelers Ravens was great in the 2000s. It kind of did go away for a little bit in the start of the 2010s, right? Because it kind of went opposite of this in a way. Like yeah. the the Steelers started being more pass happy and more explosive offense than that typical ground and pound tough Steeler defense kind of a team. So I really do think that at this era and since 2010, the most exciting rivalry it really has been these two teams. Yeah, and it was great football. Like, you know, like you can have two teams that don't like each other, but, you know, they have to play well. And these two teams were playing extremely well in this little era that we're going to talk about. And especially in 2013, you know, the Seahawks were, you know, probably second-best team regular season-wise. When, you know, you look at Denver as well, Denver had a lights-out season. But, you know, again, these two teams represented the NFC in the Super Bowl. The 49ers went the previous year. You know, the Seahawks went in 2013. So it, these two teams were at the top of the class when it came to the NFC. And again, like we look at how they were doing it, right? You talked about like the ground and pound, like, you know, both these teams have physical, you know, running games, pretty good offensive lines, you know, good running backs, right? You got Frank Gore, Marshawn, there's probably two Hall of Fame running backs. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you had two quarterbacks who were very similar in Russell Wilson and again, Colin Kaepernick, who, would, you know, we could put them on the move, they could make some throws, but predominantly they were on the run, you know, and... But again, like what I always think about these two teams is is what they do, what they did defensively. And, you know, we have one team who had the great nickname and all this, all the fanfare and all the loud personalities. But we're definitely going to get into the other team and what they had on that defense, which was just as good. No, and it's interesting to, to look at because I bet people won't think about it. And from, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013, the Niners went to three straight championship games. You know, a Super Bowl appearance, they lost 2012, you know, that Super Bowl, the, the Ravens with the lights going out, and they made that comeback but couldn't couldn't finish it. Some may say the league was fixing that, that you know, yeah. we heard some Ravens fans kind of, and Ravens players saying that. Um, but, you know, they, they, you know, couldn't get it done in that Super Bowl. But three straight title game appearances, that's an impressive run that I think people kind of overlook, you know, Jose, about those Niners in the early 2010s. Yeah, definitely. And I'll be honest, like, I forgot about that, you know, even coming into the doing this show. And I was like, man, like, you know, they were there. They were close. And even in that game, you talked about that comeback. We all know what happened. They were on like a six, seven yard line and they couldn't punch it in. Right. So they were very, very close to, to winning the Super Bowl. And, you know, but then it comes the Seattle team with all the talent with Pete Carroll. And then they kind of pull one out, you know, in 2013. But, um, in historic fashion at that, you know what I'm saying? Like, and they just, they just put a, 
pounding on on that Denver Broncos team. And again, like it just for me, it reminded me that no matter how great these offenses are, if you have a great defense, you got a good shot. And again, these two teams were the epitome of that because again, like it's not like these quarterbacks were putting up tremendous numbers. They were putting up good numbers, but you know they weren't putting up Peyton Manning, Drew Brees numbers at this time at this era. You know, eventually Russell Wilson does do that stuff, but. And this year, you know, they had pretty good seasons. But, again, you're looking at Frank Gore, Marshawn Lynch running the ball between the tackles. You know, um, even if you look at that 49ers offense as a whole, like, you know, they had two really solid receivers. Anquan Bolden was one of my favorite receivers. Um, great player, very underrated player. You got Crabtree, who was a decent player. You got Vernon Davis is a really good tight end. You know, so even that offense didn't have, like, that – big playability they was just like they were just going to get you by chunks and chunks and chunks and not turn the ball over and not put that defense in a bad position and they did that extremely well yeah and it's fun you know we always say bigger than the game with Derrick and jose connect the pass to the present you look at currently the niners are going to playing in the championship game coming up this weekend it's their third championship game appearance in four years right and they're built so similar yeah and they're also kind of even the same way where you had Trent, you know, Balky as the GM, the hotshot GM, and uh, Jim Harbaugh was the hotshot coach. You look at it now, John Lynch, that GM, and Kyle Shanahan, that coach. It's very eerie, like, you know, how these teams are kind of similar. You know, you mentioned Vernon Davis, George Kittle. You know, it's just kind of funny. Like, you know, they Debo Samuel is a different kind of beast than what, yeah. you know, and Bolden, I loved him too. He was older at this point. Right. Yeah. It, you know, it wasn't young. Young Anquan would have been a much different story. Yeah, he was putting up 1,400-yard seasons right, every right. season, you know. So, right. Yeah. So, but they're, they're, you know, these hard-hitting defenses, um, it's, it's, you know, I take that defense in the early 2010s over this oh, yes. defense now, but still a very physical, hard-hitting. So it's similar, you know, how these – it's kind of funny a decade later how these teams are built and, you know, wondering, look at it now – if the Niners organization learned from what happened earlier in 2010s to kind of get over the hump, you know, now we'll see, but. I mean, we shall see, you know what I'm saying? And the thing is like, you're exactly right. These teams are very, very similar. And what that tells me, this philosophy works. You know what I'm saying? Like if you can run the ball, have really good offensive line play, which, you know, 49ers did in this era for sure, with two pro bowlers in 2013, and they have a really solid offensive line as of today with Trent Williams. And, you know, these are all-time great anyway. But, you know, solid running game, which they have, good wide receiver play. And, again, that tight end is always the quarterback's best friend. And they had two very versatile tight ends. Um, it works. You know what I'm saying? And if you have good defense, you don't turn the ball over, like you're going to be in a lot of games. And if you can pull out some of these games, then you're going to have a really good season. And, on the flip side, right, you look at the Seattle Seahawks team at this era and, you know, same thing, right? Like they have the young quarterback, Russell Wilson. You know, Russell Wilson, I think this is like it was his coming out year in 2013. And, you know, you had the running game with Marshawn Lynch. Now this offensive line with Max Unger was super – he was really good. That's, you know, really good Pro Bowl center. But, you know, they were, they were about average as an offensive line. You know, but you look at these wide receivers who I really always liked. Doug Baldwin was always my sneaky, like, fantasy football wide receiver because he would get you, like, eight or nine touchdowns a year. He'll have a couple good games, and you could just always stash him in the bench. But they all, all the wide receivers were very similar, right? You got they were, like, smaller, real quick guys, 
you know, they can get in and out of their breaks and, you know, catch a slant, take it to the house. You had, you know, Baldwin, Golden Tate, Jermaine Curse, all very, very similar, you know, wide receivers. And what they did was they helped Russell Wilson when he was running around scrambling, they were getting open. You know what I'm saying? Like then later on they draft like Tyler Lockett, like things like that. It was just like that same wide receiver where it's just like smaller, quicker guys who can get open when Russell was like running around scrambling and, and can make catches. And they definitely had that. They were a little, I think this Seattle offense was a little more explosive than the 49ers offense at this time. But, you know, again, not similar offenses, but I love the philosophy that the Seahawks have with that. That's interesting. I, I probably would, at, looking back, like I agree, but in the moment I probably would have said, I feel like San Fran was a little bit more explosive. And the only reason why is because, you know, the Seahawks went after per- they got Percy Harvin. Yeah. You know, and Percy Harvin was an explosive player, but he never really panned injury prone, right. never panned out in Seattle. You know, he had a year or two that was good in Minnesota, but never really clicked in Seattle for him. And it was kind of like, that's what was missing. Uh, Doug Baldwin to me did become a really good receiver and better than what I thought he would be. Honestly. Absolutely. Yeah. But I didn't, and if I'm going back to what I was thinking in 2013, I didn't see it in him like as like that. I felt like Russell didn't have that guy he could count on. Right. right. And, but also, they weren't looking for Russell to do that. Russell needed just to make some plays to stay alive. Like you said, the the big difference. Well, there's there's two, but the the obvious difference to me then and now was San Fran had a much better O line yeah. than what Seattle did. And you're right. Max Unger was a really good center all pro type of center. Russell Kong, you know, got drafted in 2010, was an okay tackle, but didn't really hit for being a number six overall pick. They didn't have that O-line, which is even more impressive for me for what Marshawn Lynch was doing, you know, as a running back for this Seahawk team. But I always was – I found it interesting because I feel like Baldwin – when you look at it now, it's like Baldwin emerged. Like, he he, he was the guy – People who I think who don't remember will be like, oh, he must have been like having monster stats, but he wasn't that guy quite yet. And Russell wasn't that guy as far as a thrower quite yet back in 2013. Yeah, they were, their offense was predicated on on the running game, play action pass, and a lot of broken plays. You know, Russ running around, and even in this 2013 game, like championship game, they were one of their biggest plays is Russell running around, literally scrambling for like two minutes, and then. Doug Baldwin breaks free and, and Russell hits him with a beautiful bomb, like right over the middle. And, you know, they didn't score, but it was a big, big, big play, especially when you talk about what defense they were doing it to. So, yeah, I, I just, you know, that's why for me, like what I can remember going back, it's like that offense seemed more explosive because, again, there were so many of those, like Russell scrambling and making a move and then Baldwin, Baldwin like getting open for like a 20-yard pass right over the middle and, you know, creating a little something, but you know, Golden Tate breaking a couple tackles and and making another play there. So, but if you look at it, if you would have asked me in 2013, I'm looking at Anquan Bolden and you know Michael Crabtree, which who I thought was going to be a beast coming out of Texas Tech, but I would have picked Crabtree Bold, I mean um, Bolden over the wide receiver crew that Seattle had for sure. And, and for me, that Vernon Davis factor was huge. Right. Yep. For San Fran as well, and also. You know, when Kaepernick came in, you know, Harbaugh made the gutsy call. A guy, Alex yeah. Smith, got him to the championship game in 2011. But honestly, was the to me the reason why yeah. 
the reason why they didn't get they should have won that game. And he's the reason why I know people want to blame Kyle Williams and the fumbles and like, yeah, that, that didn't help. But that Niner defense did all you could, the way they smacked around Eli Manning and were hitting him and hitting him and really taking it to him. But you had Alex Smith who and I like him. I respect Alex Smith. He turned his career around, like, you know, um, but he just couldn't get him over the hump. And if you had a quarterback who could I think the giant Eli doesn't have two rings. I'll be quite honest with you. Yeah. Like, um, and Eli played heroically in that game, but the Niners defense was smacking. They just could not get anything going. So the next year was controversial when they still have a really good record. They're still in first. And then he goes with Colin Kaepernick. And that was the thing for that 12 and 13 run. Kaepernick's putting up monster, you know, numbers. Yeah. And a lot of it is like, stuff too, like, right. You know, you know it's rushing, but it's also right. he's getting some passing numbers too as well, like in some of these games. So Kaepernick for that like year and a half run was like, whoa, he was just coming on strong and you're thinking, what could this guy do later on? Yeah, he was very I'm I'm being careful with this, very Randall esque. You know what I mean? Randall Cunningham esque, and it's not he's no he was nowhere near Randall's talent, but just the way they played with the long strides and Kaepernick had a strong, really strong arm. Now he wasn't as accurate as maybe Alex Smith for sure, but he can get it down the field and that's what they were missing. Like, you know, right. Alex Smith was like, a, you know, the check down King, I used to call him. And it was just like, you know, here and there, here and there, five yards here. It's it's hard to play offense like that. You know what I mean? Like that every drive has to be 12, 13 plays, you know, eating up clock. It's just hard to sustain that. You need an explosive play from time to time. And Kaepernick, not only gave you that in the air, right, with a strong arm, but he also gave you that, as we saw for those couple of years, on the ground with his legs. And he was dynamic runner at the quarterback position. And, excuse me, those long strides, man. Like that, I'm just thinking, like, that, that, gave, that playoff game, what was it, Green Bay? He had, like, 182 yeah. yards or something like that, crazy. And he just – he took over that game. So, like – and I, I we're not going to get into, like, all the Kaepernick stuff and all that, but to, for me that I used to laugh at was when people say he was a scrub, and he was not a scrub for sure. Right, right. And that's where, like you said, not trying to get into that, but it is like that's why it's an obvious black ball. Right. Because right. you see what he did, and it's like, really? he 32 quarterbacks were better than him, and then all the backups were better? Like, come on now. Like, it, yeah. it, it was obvious. But – you know, that right there, what you said, though, to me was the difference with these two teams. Mm-hmm. And it's the fact that you're right. You can win in the NFL in the regular season with that dink and dunk stuff, but you have to be able to push it down the field, especially in the, like you're playing against better competition, yeah. which we all know you are in the playoffs. So in the playoffs, yeah, team, you're not going to win – when they know what you're doing and you're, you're not playing scrubs once you get to, you know, January and February. So you have to be able to do that. And that's the thing right there. The difference with these two teams comes down to the quarterbacks and as dominant as Colin was Russell. And it's funny because I think we throw out game manager a lot to like people when they're, they're not like that quarterback who's leading the charge and throwing for 450 and four touchdowns and like he lean on the run game more. Oh, he's a game manager. And it's like, that's a knock. I feel that's like, yeah, that's, a, that's not a, fair. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because was Russell the guy he became later on at this point? No, it's a second year, but he showed, and I know looking in 2023, a lot of people are burying Russell right now. Yeah. And, Rightfully so in a lot of cases, like 
I'm not saying he didn't bring some of it on himself, but we got to remember, yes, Marshawn, it was the the defense and Marshawn, but the difference between these two teams, the biggest one was that Russell knew how to have, he had that it factor. He had that clutch ability to where he didn't turn over, but he knew how to keep a play alive and hit a Doug ball when a Golden Tate, Jermaine Kirsch down the field to extend the drive and keep it going. And he had that it clutch factor more than a Colin Kaepernick did. And that was such a huge difference to me between these guys, especially going back and rewatching it. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, you can see what happened afterwards too. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, Seattle went on a crazy run against the 49ers and that's, and that was the same thing I was thinking there. I mean, it's like, it was the development of the quarterback that, you know, for each team, like if you look at it from both sides, like, that's like Seattle won 10 in a row against the 49ers. It, it became not a rival, right? But right. that was because the evolution of, of Wilson compared to like what happened with Kaepernick, plus a bunch of other stuff well, I, I wanted to get into anyway with some of the 49ers players. Um, but I agree that that's, that was the difference. And it was like Russ can make, can make a couple of those plays that Kaepernick may miss, you know, like with the throw or something like that, like on the run. And it just – Russell was a little more accurate, a lot more accurate, excuse me. And that put that, that put Seattle, it gave, it was like a, a notch above the 49ers. For sure. Right. Right. And that, and that's why I think it, it, it I felt like it was kind of like knocked down back then. And I feel like it's overlooked now, but we got to give Russell, I think more credit than what he got for that three, that 2012 to 2014 run by Seattle, obviously Legion of Boom. And we're going to talk about them in detail historic defense, great defense. They should be talked about first. No doubt about it. But Russell Wilson, if he's not doing what he's doing, I don't know if they're getting over the hump over these Niners and getting to the Super Bowl and or the next year getting over that hump against the Packers in the championship game and getting to the Super Bowl. He was important. He, he was he, he don't you want that game manager label on him? That as to me is a cheap shot because he did a lot of stuff. He was clutch yeah. to help get them over the the hump. Yeah, he definitely won a lot of games for them for sure. And even if you look at his season, I mean, he threw for 33, 57, 26 touchdowns, nine interceptions, and that the nine interceptions is what you want. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like you don't want him to put the ball. You know what I mean? Put that defense in a rough spot because again, like we're both of these teams, but especially the Seattle team. Like you're not going 80 yards against this team very often and, and putting up points. So, you know, he's doing that in the air. He also rushes for 539 yards and a touchdown. So, you know, he's almost putting up almost 4,000 total yards. So to me, that's a successful season at the quarterback position, especially when you have a running game behind you like that and that defense on the other side. No, absolutely. And we had mentioned this when we had uh, Dr. John – as a guest on, on our 2011 redraft episode, you know, check the archives. Check them. But, you know, Jose, looking at the way both these teams were built, but really especially the Seahawks and, you know, that John Snyder, Pete Carroll, you know, combo that they've had, you know, ever since. It's a great know, combination there, man. It's, it's been a great combo and a great draft combination. Yeah. And we can look at it, the steals that they had in 2010, getting, you know, uh, Earl Thomas – in the first round. Who I wanted the Eagles to draft so bad. Yeah. But they, it worked they, out. It worked it out. Did. The, Eagle, the Eagles got Brandon Graham. Right. You know, who, you know, was clutch. Hey, that's super, that strip sack in the Super Bowl. So, like, 
it, it for a long time it wasn't looking like it was. No, good. it was not. <laughs> it was it, not. it. Especially like those first three years. Ugh. Yeah, it was it like was man, good. we we blew it. But we, I could say we did not blow it. Like is no, he Earl credit Thomas. Credit him. Yeah, he's not Earl Thomas, but Brandon Graham's had a heck of a career, so yep. give him credit. But they get Cam Chancellor in the fifth in 2010. Right. I mean, and I think just people. It's so weird because the Legion of Boom is not forgotten. They're still talked about. They're they're still everywhere. Like it, not just because Russell's playing and Pete's still coaching, but just the names are just. Richard Sherman's you know, now in the media. That's going to yeah helps keep it alive for sure. Yeah, Marshawn's is an it's icon. Whatever he's doing, yeah, yeah. You know, so like they're not forgotten. But I feel like the impact that Cam Chancellor had, I felt like he was honestly underrated when he was playing because yes and not due to i think due to he's such a big hitter that people saw the big hits but just the impact that he had all over that field he you know the safeties to me were the secret weapons of the legion of boom yeah. earl thomas and cam chant those were the guys like you feared uh, of the of the secondary in my opinion um but just you know jose how impactful and how great cam chancellor was in this era yeah, and he was a freak of, of nature, you know. I mean, because you don't look at that safety position and, you know, yeah, you get big hitters and things like that, but he was not only that, he was big as hell. He was built mm-hmm. like a linebacker, you know what right. I'm saying? Like, And to have that size, that strength, but the ability to still cover and play deep, you know, and it, it was just, it's, it wasn't even fair, you know what I'm saying? Like, because, again, like now you have, now you have Chancellor and you have Earl Thomas. So Earl Thomas can do everything else, right? Like Earl Thomas was playing deep. He was picking off passes and things like that. You know, he had five interceptions in 2013. But, you know, Chancellor had three, right? And But you're playing Chancellor more closer to the line of scrimmage. So not only now, you know, you have like an extra linebacker in the box and he's definitely helping out against the run. But he was also a smart player, man. Like it was just that tandem – was an amazing, amazing tandem. Because, again, if you look at the cornerback position now, you got Richard Sherman, who probably going to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, but this year you got Brandon Browner, you know, um, on the other side. And I, I, the, the safety position, to me, those two safeties are much better than the two corners. You know what I'm saying? Like, And they definitely made, the you know, Richard Sherman's and, and Browner's careers and, and, and seasons a lot easier having them two guys roam in that middle. No, and I agree, and I think uh, this might be a hot take for some. I don't know. Uh, to me, the lock of the four of them is for Hall of Fame is Earl Thomas. Okay. The number two guy to me should be Cam Chancellor we're talking about, like where we really talk about it. Richard Sherman, not a Hall of Famer. I think he will get it. Like you said, he has the media. He was a known voice. This game that, that we're going to get into really helped propel him into people's memory. But Richard Sherman, to me, should not be in the Hall of Fame. And I look at Cam Chancellor, not just because he was more important, but just his career and what he did. I would rather have a discussion if I was a Hall of Fame voter about Cam Chancellor than I would about Richard Sherman, in my opinion. Mm, that is a hot take because I disagree with that. Like, And I love Chancellor. I, You know, Jeremy, I'm all about the DBs, in particular the safety position. I love, I love safeties, man. And I think if his career was longer, it's a slam dunk. You know what I mean? Like Cam Chancellor's in the Hall of Fame. But I just think, I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't be mad if he gets in the Hall of Fame for sure. Like, I think. You know, I'm not calling him a Hall of Famer. 
I think he should get more like consideration. The, your order, your packing order is right. Safeties, Sherman, got you. Right, I think okay. Earl Thomas is the the number one guy of them. Yeah, yeah. And like to get it, and I think Cam Chancellor should be more considered. I think Richard Sherman. I don't ever remember him being the number one cornerback in the game. Was he one of the best for a few years? Yeah, I never said that's the best corner. And if you look at his run of being up there, it's a very short run. And to me, I think that's one of the big things the Hall of Fame is getting wrong now, which is if you have a short run, it could be a great run, but that's it's short. To me, it's got to be a transcendent, it changed the game type of run right. to make up for it. Gale Sayers, you can look at him as a running back, and you can say, you know, before Gale, after Gale. He was a transcendent kind of running back. So for six years, that's all he played. But we never seen anything like that before. And he changed how we saw running backs play. He gets it. Terrell Davis, who I loved, should not be in the Hall of Fame. No. You know, and that's the thing. I think, guys, now we are so stat-driven, and it it's kind of hurts it where now it's like, you know, because he had a few All-Pros. I'm not taking that away from him. But he had a few all pros and he made the all decade team. That's going to put Richard Sherman in. And it's like, yeah, you got to look at it. He really had like a three year run, in my opinion. He didn't play like he, I mean, 10 years is great, but like the last bit of it, it wasn't, he wasn't, he was a talker. He was not a shutdown corner. No. And I, I, I just look at it like Ty Law got in the Hall of Fame. And I don't know if I agree. And I love, you know, he's a Michigan guy. I was about to say, that's your, that might be your guy. Yeah. So, but, but I think it's like, I don't look at Ty Law as a Hall of Famer. And then I don't know if I put Richard Sherman over a Ty Law, to be quite honest with you. So it's like overall for a career body right. of work, I don't that's, that's think a, that's I a good, would. That's actually a good comparison, though. Um, you know, both. You know, Ty Law, I think Ty, what helped Ty Law is like the postseason stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like the big moments in the postseason. Sherman had a couple of them. It's been in particular 2013 championship game. But I I would go with Ty Law over Richard Sherman. Right. And I don't know if Ty Law was a lock Hall of Famer to me. Right. Like he's kind of like iffy and I, I loved him. And I thought he was like underrated as a player, but like Hall of Famer, I don't know. Yeah. Richard Sherman to me, I feel like will get in. And that's a problem because he he didn't have that as long as a run if people really look at it. And it definitely was not transcendent type of football. He's on a transcendent type of defense, but he himself was not transcendent type of football. So that that's that's why I want to bring up Chancellor, because to me, like you said it, that really helped out a Brandon Browner, Sherman, you know, Maxwell later on. Yeah. Like especially Maxwell. But yeah. like that, really, yeah, we know that. Yeah, Byron needed some. He needed more help. Brandon Browner was, Brandon Browner was. He was, he was a solid a lot, player. Yeah, yeah, he went a lot New off England the field, was, but was yeah. solid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he went to New England and played well too. So, um, he was a physical corner, you know. And that's the thing with this whole, with this whole defensive backfield, man. Like they were all physical players. Richard Sherman was physical. He wasn't like the fastest guy out there. He was more of like a, you know, bump you up in the line of scrimmage, things like that. Um. And we all know what these two safeties were bringing to the table. Like, if you mean, you had to keep your head on the swivel. And that's very cliche-ish, you know. But against with both of these defenses and the safeties, you know, you had to make sure you knew where they were at. And then you talked about Earl Thomas a little bit. Man, he was he was a great player, man. Like, such mm-hmm. a great player and such a great leader, you know. And he just 
he was just that all around. He was the best player, but he was just the all around guy. Like you know, what I'm saying he can cover, he can play the line of scrimmage, he can you know play the run. You know, like he, they were shutting down tight ends. You know, I remember they shut down Gronk. It, it was just, it was just they were. I remember Chancellor put Gronk out. Like you know, what I mean, it was just they were just nasty, man. And again, like that's why I love this defense so much. And you know, it was like just watching them. I love both of these defenses, but. Right. That, Le- that Legion of Boom, man, had me for a minute there. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because, again, I love DB play, and they did they did it as good as a lot of defenses of all time. Right. And that, that DB and, – and to give it – and, hey, Brandon Browner, like you said, not the career that Sherman had. But I'll say this. Maybe another hot take, Jose. uh 2023, I'm coming. Brandon Browner – was the op, you know cornerback with Richard Sherman tandem for this 2013 Seahawks World Champs? Let me take Brandon, a seat, man. Brandon Browner goes to the Patriots. Him and Revis, that combo, get the Patriots over the hump, stop that ten year gap, winning the championship. Man, I forgot Bill that Belich- Bill that. Belichick said the reason what put them over the edge was that corner combo of Revis and Browner. Two physical guys, they will go anywhere on the field and lock a guy down. Say it, Jeremy. I do not believe if you put Richard Sherman on the Patriots that following year, we're going to say the same thing. So what you're saying to me and all the listeners, you think Browner was a better player than Sherman? I'm saying Richard Sherman. Not going to say that. Richard Sherman had a better career. I'm going to say Richard Sherman is a highly – overrated player and i think it is borderline crazy that we're talking about him and people are saying he's a lock hall of famer and you read articles and people talk about him as one of the great cornerbacks of all time um and you'll go on place but they'll say it yeah and i mean i'll be honest you love eric allen is it a slam dunk that richard sherman's better than eric allen Absolutely not. We can get into that conversation if you want to, but no. I'm just saying, right? So to me, and Eric Allen's still waiting for the Hall of Fame. So the fact that people, it's almost like a lock, and I don't care if it's not first ballot or anything. I don't think he he should be remembered for this defense. He had a very good career, borderline. You know, you say great career, a Hall of Fame career, absolutely not. But so I, that's what I, I just say. I think nine. Hey, a lot of people are going to agree with you. You know, I I'll be. A, I, I think, oh man, it's tough. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think he he'll get in. You know, I, I definitely do. And I know you said this. I know you said that too. But, you know, I just think, I think him being the voice of his defense. He wasn't the best player, but him being the voice of it, and him being so outspoken and, and we talked about it when we did a redraft like that. Him being in the media is going to keep his name out there. He's going to get in. You know what I'm saying? Like, but yeah, I, I, I agree. And so, so what Jeremy's saying, right. You, out of these DBs, he's number four. That's what you're saying. And not for a career in 2013, 2014 for those couple years. Yes. For a career. No, he had a better career than Brandon Browner did. And a lot of that's Brandon Browner's own fault. And his off the field that. stuff. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Browner was a very good player. He was, but, um, in in this for these couple of years, yeah, he's number four to me. Like, See, and, absolutely. And, and you talked about Chancellor being so, so underrated, right? And um, to me, it was Browner 
who was the most underrated out of all of these guys. Because at least Chancellor, you know, he made the Pro Bowl. He, you know, he was an All Pro. Browner, he did not get his due. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then you go to he goes to the Patriots, and who gets his due? His Revis gets. You know what I'm saying? Revis gets a lot of that credit. And I remember Bill Belichick saying that. I saw the interview when he said that, and you know, I was surprised by that. And I was like, man, like. Browner is that good of a player that he made that big of a difference, you know what I'm saying? And to an all-time great defensive coach who has coached great defensive backs. And it's just, obviously, I'm going to take his his word over a lot of other people. And But if, to me, it was always Browner. Browner was the most underrated out of these four because I felt like if he would have went anywhere else and been the main guy, he would have been perfectly fine. Now, I, I do – the only reason why I say that is Brandon Browner's done a lot of bad stuff, let me be real, off the field. Yeah. So part of me is like – is I don't know if that's what's clouding it because Brandon Browner's forgotten, yeah. And now people want to put like Byron Maxwell. The Legion Boom's not Byron Maxwell. Let's no. be real. No. But Brandon Browner's done such off the field stuff. So part of me is like I don't know if the underratedness is how much that affects it nowadays. Where like if he had a clean record, I would totally be like, and I still feel like you're you're right. But I feel like a lot of it now people want to like forget Brandon Browner existed almost like. Like I should go under the rug. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm like, it makes me kind of stop a little bit and be like, is that, is it totally just he's overlooked or is that like people just don't want to bring him up? Um, but I, I, I will say that I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say that I think if Richard Sherman gets in, he'll be the Eli Manning of defensive hall of famers. I'm not going to say that Jose, you know, I'm you thinking it, it, I'm feeling it. Uh, but that's a tough one there. That's the Eli Manning. Eli's going to get into the Hall of Fame, um, and he shouldn't be in. That's the offense of, like, what? Richard Sherman is that for me on the defense. It's like, what are we doing, fellas, when we're doing that? Like, come on now. So Yeah, the Hall of Fame is definitely, in, in most sports, has definitely taken a step Sl- back. Slipped. Yeah, taking a step back for sure. So so this is the strength of the Seattle defense. I, I, I wanted to talk to you there, me. Um, about the strength of this 49ers defense, right? And, you know, a lot of people, when they think of this 49ers defense, they, you know, immediately go to this linebacker court, right? And um, and I, I don't blame them because this, sheesh, man, like these guys, you know, if they would have had a longer run and then injuries and, and we all know Patrick Willis, him retiring early, and we all know what Alden Smith would happen. And even in this season, he was taking a step back already. But if you look at this linebacker court, uh, the 49ers there me had like that they had. You got Ma Brooks, who was a pro bowler this season. You got Navarro Bowman, who was a pro bowler, all pro, all world. First team all pro. Yeah, all world. He was amazing. You got Patrick Willis, pro bowler, right? That's the name that everybody remembers. And then you got Alden Smith, who was a sack machine, you know, not this season, 2012 season. He had 19 and a half sacks, but he came out. Everybody thought that, you know, he was a Hall of Fame player in the waiting. You know what I'm saying? And then he had his off the field issues 100 percent documented. But talk to me about this linebacker court there. I mean, like, how, how great nah, were they? Uh, and also, they were, matter of fact, like, Justin Smith up front. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, eating yeah, up space, you know. Yeah. Like, so I just want to point him out, like. He was that, a quiet, one of the best line defensive linemen in the league at this time. Maybe Absolutely. Absolutely. And he was huge. Um, you know, it goes, we, we can do a lot of comparisons where even what we just said, you know, at this point, Brandon Browner is better than Richard Sherman, in my opinion. Now, Richard Sherman 
better career. At this point, you know, I look at this linebacking core. Patrick Willis, to me, is the the Hall of Fame type guy. Like, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. What Patrick and that's another, Willis did. again, like another short career that we were talking about. But he was at a very high level throughout the career. Right. He never, like, really dipped. No. And it was much longer run than our Richard Sherman. You know, just to say, but, leave Richard yeah. Sherman alone, man. Like I can't, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot. Dude bothers me, and this game is what made him a lot of money. Let's be real. Yeah. But at this point, Patrick Willis is not the linebacker. To me, Navarro Bowman is the the best linebacker on this team, and that says something because Patrick Willis is still playing elite level football. But yeah. Navarro Bowman, and in this game, he showed it. Is just he just dominant and just like a man and quiet, but just like a man's man. And I'll be honest, I've never seen anyone give Marshawn Lynch yeah. like some trouble the way you watch this game. Navarro Bowman's laying the wood out there. And part of me wonders how this game ends if Navarro Bowman doesn't get hurt. And you know, on an amazing play where he like his ACL gets like torn, yeah, he, he, but he, he gets a fumble recovery. Holds on to the ball while he's like down, and the refs still don't give it Terrible to him. Call. Yep. And they wind up the the Niners, you know, pretty much said their their own version of ball don't lie in this game. And the next play, they on the goal line one yard, which will be key one yard for Marshawn Lynch. Yep. They hit him, cause a fumble, and get the ball back. That's how great this Niners D was. Yeah. There's a few defenses in history. And the Niners didn't win, so they're not going to – like the Super Bowl, so they won't get called this. But there's a few defenses in history who have that kind of ability where you know they're like, we're going to take this ball away right now. Yeah. And they go out there and do it. Both these defenses had it, and they're and they're both in that elite level class, in my opinion, in NFL history. Yeah, I agree 100%. And that's why – that's what made these games so great because I felt like these two defenses were trying to outdo each other, and they were just beating the shit out of these offenses like – I don't care. Like, Navarro Bowman in this game, and again, like, he gets hurt at the end. It just it was through the rest of his career. Like, his career was over pretty much after pretty this much. game. And, um, and that's a shame because he was a lights-out, lights-out linebacker. And and I agree with you. I, I agree. At this season, he was the better linebacker. He was the best linebacker. And then the thing is, like, you look at Alden Smith and what he did in 2012 with 19 and a half sacks, you would have think, like, man, like, you got Alden Smith, you got Patrick Willis, and you got Navarro Bowman, and all these guys are under 25 years old. Like, it's it, it was an embarrassment of riches that they had there, man. And, you know, you got Navarro Bowman, who was 25, Alden Smith, who was 24, Patrick Willis, I'm sorry, was 28. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, so he was the older statement, but, again, in the prime of his career. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, right. And you got all these three guys in that same linebacker court, and – Again, you, they were going to dominate for the next five years. Um, but you get the injury to Bowman in this game. We all know what happened with Alden Smith, and he had a great game in this game as well. The first play of the game, he strip sacks Russell Wilson, and you're thinking this game is over, man, at this point. you know. But he was such a great pass rusher, man. Like I think he broke the record for like the first two seasons, like his first two seasons on the amount of sacks he had. It was something crazy like that, and he was just a great player. But – Watching, again, Willis and Bowman in that middle was so much fun because, again, like, they were both, and it's very cliches, but they were both sideline to sideline guys, 
But not only did they have the speed to catch anything east-west, but they were so physical up the middle, man, that you just couldn't run up the middle. And then you talked about Smith and the defensive line. If you got through him, you had to face those two guys. It, it was just – and then you had two safeties and Whitfield – he was coming and knocking your head off. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it was just another physical as defense here. No. And I think honestly, they, they didn't have enough long of a run right. to get this, but this linebacking core could have competed with the dome patrol saints of the late eighties, early nineties, if they would have had more time together. And that says a lot from a guy like me who I love that dome patrol linebacking core. One of my favorite like units in football, all sport. I love all four of those yeah, guys. Yeah, they were great. Yeah, and they could have. Which to me, that's an all-time. People say some people will call that the greatest. I wouldn't call them the greatest linebacking core, but some people call the Dome Patrol the greatest linebacking core. These guys uh, could have gotten that if they would have had more time together. Like they were that special. Um, and that's the thing. There's so many guys on this defense. You know, Legion of Boom. I'm not going to call like so everyone listen to me. I know I've made some for some people hot takes. They're not the steel curtain, in my opinion. Nah. Now, what I laugh at though is the same kind of a thing, which is like the steel curtain was originally like the defensive line, but then we kind of just call the whole defense the steel curtain. The Legion of Boom is kind of like the secondary, but we kind of give it to the whole defense. And both cases, rightfully so, because Jose, I, I don't know when I look at like Seattle, when I flip it over to them, we, we focus on the secondary, the best player on that defense. And to me, you could argue Earl Thomas fighting with Bobby Wagner. Yeah. And the linebacker that Bobby Wagner was, you know, 2013, his second year. And then he has just put up absolute Hall of Famer, Hall <laughs> of Fame numbers where I think hands down the best linebacker of the 2010s is Bobby Wagner. And yeah. I really do think he makes a run, which also knocks Richard Sherman down a peg. He makes a run at, as you could say, is the overall career wise, the best maybe defensive player for the Seahawks. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, you know, you can look at these units and break these units down. I mean, because you got Bobby Wagner in the middle, who is the quintessential sideline sideline guy. Like, there, mm-hmm. you were not getting away from Bobby Wagner, right? You got another young linebacker in KJ Wright, who was another. I'm not saying he was a great linebacker, but he was all over the place, right? And then you got Bruce Irvin, who was more of a, like a pass rusher, you know, like a physical, more of a physical guy. But Michael Bennett, was, Michael, yeah, oh, yeah, my God, like you know, we can definitely get into the defensive line too. You got Chris, you know, Chris Averill. Who was just a pass rush machine. I mean, it's Cliff Averill, excuse me. It was a pass rush machine, you know. So they they had it all. This defense had it all, and they, but they were so they they had so much speed, man. Like they, you were not running east west on these guys. Like they were going to catch you, and they were going to bring you down. Like from the defensive line, from the linebackers to the DBs, it was just a outstanding like this i can't talk about this defense more man like it was just speed 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 everywhere man no for sure and 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 we we have to say you know what in 2013 the seahawks did so they not just win the super bowl and we know what they did in the super bowl to an all-time quarterback and all-time offense yeah with peyton manning and the 2013 broncos but you got to look at 2013 the seahawks Led the league in points allowed, yards allowed, and takeaways. First team to do that since the infamous 85 Bears. 
so, you know, that's that's historical stuff, what they did, you know, right. the Legion of Boom. Yeah, when you – when you're compared to the 85 Bears and anything, any defensive stat, like you, you're doing something great. And mm-hmm. but again, we we've been talking about it. It's like, you know, the game, the name of the game on defense is points allowed, right? Like I think that's that that in turnovers is the most important thing. And um, when you lead the league in that, you're doing something right. Now they can get to the quarterback, and now they're turning the ball over to it. It was just, again, like. They had everything you want a defense to have, right? They can play physical. They can run around and catch you anywhere you were at in the field. You know, they can play man-to-man. They can take away, you know, the running game and put eight in the box, right, with these with that secondary. If they needed to play off and you weren't running the ball, they were going to, you know, it, it was just they could bring Maxwell in as a third corner, and now you're playing like nickel. And it, it's just they still had the ability with Chancellor to come in and bring him down in the box, and that's still another linebacker. It was just there was no – real weak spots in both of these defenses. Um, but in particular, this Legion of Boom defense, the Seattle defense, there was there was no weak spots. There was nowhere you can really attack. I think you can look at this 49ers defense, and again, very similar to this season's in, in 2023. And it's like maybe the cornerback position was their weakest. But even that, like, you know, you got Eric Reed running around, you know, playing yeah. safety, free safety, and he was just getting to everything too. So it – there was no weak spots here. See, and, and I'm gonna let the listeners know it's just hard because it's like I'm salivating talking about how Jose is too. So there's so many angles to take with what you just said. So bear with me. I'm gonna go, but I'm just gonna let it fly. Go ahead, do your thing. You know, we we you check our archive. We talked about 49ers Cowboys in the 90s, and those games were pretty much like whoever won that championship game, the Super Bowl you knew was it was yeah. a far gone kind of like a aftermath thought. Do you look at it and do you think that in this championship game, 2013, do you think whoever won this game were going to beat the Broncos? Or do you think if San Fran wins this game, do they is do the Broncos maybe win or is it a closer game? Like or do you think this was the Super Bowl? Yeah, I think this was a Super Bowl. I think the 49ers beat that Broncos team as well because you know, the my only thing was that you know Seattle's secondary was much. It was a lot, it was better. It was much better. It was definitely yeah a lot yeah, better than the 49ers secondary. So I think Denver. It would have been a much closer game. You know, I I think Denver puts up more points. You know, and but I think the 49ers keep it close enough. You know, and I I, I do think the 49ers beat the Broncos. Now again, the Bron- that Broncos team was was no joke, you know, that Broncos offense was, was all time great. But I just think the way these two defensives played and how they could put pressure on the quarterback, I, I it didn't matter who was playing on offense, you know, in the Super Bowl. I think either one of these two teams was, was gonna win and obviously Seattle did, but you know, I do think the 49ers go in there and, and handle business against the Broncos. But that's yeah, an I can interesting be, question though for sure. I can be honest, in twenty thirteen I did not think that. But now, you know, 10 years later, looking back, I, I do think, yeah. like, And I agree with everything you said, honestly. I think the Niners win, but it's a lot closer game because of the second. That's the difference. The secondary, which was good, but it wasn't arguably what Seattle had, which arguably is the greatest secondary maybe in NFL history. So, yeah. and, you know, Peyton, I feel like that's what gets them. you got to have a pass rush, of course. But, yeah. like, when he can't pick apart, when – 
he can't just, all right, the rush is coming, but hey, he knows where, guess what, this receiver's going here, I can just boom, hit you. When he had to like, uh-oh, nobody's open, he was done. It didn't happen often, and, you know, get credit to Peyton, but I think that's why he had no answer for Seattle. I think he would have had a little bit more of an answer with San Fran, but he would have been getting hit. Like that Bronco O-line was not going to be yeah. – slowing down that Niner defense either, that that front seven. So it, it would have been tough for Peyton either way, but a lot a lot, lot better, I think, than with the San Fran than it would have been Seattle. So uh, that always kind of stuck out with me because this when you have that conference rivalry, like the way this one is, you kind of wonder, like, is that the Super Bowl? And I, I'm grateful in today's championship games coming up, we don't have that. I don't – I feel like – yeah. Whoever comes out victorious in 2023, you know, that's championship game. We're going to have a really good Super Bowl matchup. But I kind of wonder about this year, was that the same thing? So that's why I wanted to ask you. Yeah, no, um, I, I think so. I, I just think, and again, it, it's just, it shows in this three-year run, right? The year before the 49ers were in the Super Bowl, obviously 2013 Seattle gets in and get in again in 2014. We all know what happened there, you know. But um, no, I think this was the class of the NFL, you know, and quietly it was because, again, you saw what Denver was doing and New England was doing. They were putting up all these crazy points and stats, and it's just like, no, at the end of the day, if you have these shutdown defenses and physical defenses who take the ball away and you you have an opportunity to win a lot of games. And Seattle won 13 games this season, something like that. So, you know, they were a really, really good team as well. And I just think also in that Super Bowl, you know, Again, it goes back to, you know, Kaepernick versus Wilson. And I, I just think the blowout happens because, again, Seattle has the better quarterback, you know, and Denver has more of an opportunity because they, Colin Kaepernick uh, he's not doing what Russell Wilson is doing. So, Right. Right. Absolutely. Now, I kind of look at these teams and I'm kind of like, because, man, it's not that long ago. There's people still in the league from these, yeah. you, know, you know, these teams and these like – so it's not that – but it does feel honestly watching it, I'm like, man, like the hits don't seem like 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 that now, like we did no. in this game. And these are special defenses, we know that. But do you see like when you look at what do you look at when you look at this game and these two franchises? Do you see kind of an impact like from twenty, you know, thirteen to like now? Do you see where like any trends that like oh? The other league, I mean, other teams were copying these guys, and we kind of see something about these teams in today's NFL. If you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think you know in this era, I think philosophies started to like change a little bit, and and it had already started to change. I think, in my opinion, but you know, with these two teams, I think obviously it's a copycat league, so people are going to try to do it. But you can't, everybody can't draft the way these two teams were drafting at this time. And I think the emphasis started where. It's like pass rush, right? Like defensive line and defensive backfield. Like I, I think, and again, these two teams have great linebacker cores. Like, so it's not like it's because what they were doing, but I think teams started to really understand, like if you can put pressure on the quarterback and have a really good, like, you know, some really good DBs, you can get away with having like subpar linebacker play. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, I, good point. I, I, and I remember, and I, I can just think vividly of like, you know, I can go back to, like, these Eagles teams for so long, right, that they don't even look at the linebacker. And Jim Johnson was like that, too. Like, you know, they had decent linebackers with Trotter and, you know, Carl Zemmons for a minute there. Like, 
But it was more about getting to the quarterback and having great defensive backs and having great, you know, the ability to kind of slow a wide receiver up and give that pass rush enough time. And I just think the league starts to shift a little bit because especially especially with this, what happened in the Super Bowl when you can see what they did to the Broncos offense. And it's just like if you can put pressure on a quarterback, no matter who the quarterback is, and slow these wide receivers down, you're going to have a good chance of winning that game. I think that kind of shifted in this era where it was just like, no, you got to have like the, the front seven has to be dominant. And it's just like, no, you don't really need that. Like if you have adequate linebacker play, you can get away with winning a lot of games. And, and that's why, I, in my opinion, I think that's what shifted with these line, with these with these defensive teams. No, it's interesting. I, and that's true. Like we do see um, the linebacking core, like, you know, growing up so long, like you got to have linebackers and, right. and you got to have them and, you know, either three, you know, three, four, enough that like you got to have four sometimes. And now it's like a lot of times, you know, watching the Cowboys playing the Niners, they, you know, two linebackers out there. That's yeah. really it. Like it's kind of like a different, and I, that's a great, I didn't think about that, but yeah, like the linebackers kind of starting to, you know, we see the running backs over the past 10 years losing value, but the linebackers kind of have lost their value. Not that they're not both are important, but they don't have the same emphasis like you had right. throughout most of NFL history, you know. And, and I think when you have good ones, they stick out so much. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because you can do, you can still do a lot with them, but the evolution of the tight end is really also played a part in that, where it's like you can't put a tight end on these. I mean, you can't put a linebacker on these tight ends anymore. Like, if you can, you're lucky. You're going to have a really good defense, you know, but you got to have an extra DB in there. A lot of teams are running nickel most of the time. Like, they're starting the game off in nickel, like you mentioned, like two linebackers and stuff. And it's just like you got to have an ability to get to this tight – take away this tight end, and you're not doing it with most of the linebackers in the league today. So. No. And that's where Cam Chancellor was effective. Right. Right. Because also you weren't getting so the, the trouble was you need a DB, but now you got a Gronk, a Jimmy Graham at this time, who they're six six, six seven. Yeah. They're so tall. So it's like, well, yeah, you can't put a linebacker, but you gotta have a DB, but they're so much shorter and smaller. Cam Chancellor fit everything. Yeah. And yeah, the only guy I've seen to Beck, you mentioned earlier to be able to like mark Gronk one on one, Cam Chan and it was an interesting, great matchup was Cam Chancellor. And, yeah. you know, like that kind of was like something that people, you're right, you needed that hybrid guy. And he wasn't the first, but he kind of brought in a new emphasis and a new wave on it. So I think, yeah, like that, that's a great point. You know, I was looking at a lot of times now, I feel like the past decade, we're seeing teams, they're trying to build and get guys around the quarterback and like through the draft and maybe some free agency, but they they're trying to win when they get that quarterback on like a small, like a yeah, cheaper deal contract. Yeah. Right. And I feel like this kind of like yep. started it with like Russell here and like this and like trying to like kind of, all right, we'll get them yeah, while they're on that point. rookie deal yeah. and we can kind of build around and kind of do that. And I feel like now, that's a common thing in today's NFL. It's like, all right, trying to win now before we got to go pay this quarterback so much money and pay him the bank. Let's get it all in now. You know, we saw that with Mahomes and we've seen it with other guys. So it's just like, I feel like that to me, I didn't really hear about that or see that as a league or franchise model until after what the Seahawks did. 
Don, that's a, that's a great point too because I didn't even think about that. And if you look at all three, three out of the four teams that are in the, this, you know, and this championship weekend, all have three of them have you know quarterbacks and rookie deals. You know, and, right? You know, you got Purdy, you got Hurts. Who is going to change for Hurts? Is going to change for um, Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is going to change for him too very soon. So these teams are taking advantage of that for sure. And I think you're hundred percent right. I think what the Seahawks were doing at this era were loading up on, especially defensively, they were just bringing guys in and signing guys. I mean, they did a great, great draft, did a great job with the draft as well, but you know, you can do a whole lot more when you got that quarterback, you know, on that rookie deal. And, um, and then again, these two teams were definitely doing that. Cause if you look at the rest of that roster, they was, they were totally loaded and the quarterback was not getting paid. And then you see what happened. Russ gets paid. And then some of some of these guys start to leave, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then you can't, you can't pay the quarterback a lot of money and then think you're going to keep a lot of guys. Like you're going to have to draft well. And that's where a lot of teams suffer where it's like they can't draft well. So now your team is being depleted and this guy's getting paid 30, 40 million. And you just can't, it's, it's tough for you to win that way. Then you're going to try to sign free agents. And if you miss on a free agent, then you're definitely done for a couple of years. So <laughs> that's a great point. Cause I didn't, I didn't think about that, but I think you're a hundred percent right. I think what the Seahawks did now, what they were doing in 2013, a lot of teams wanted to jump on that for sure. And they and did and did. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um we we can't I wish we could in a way, honestly, but we can't talk about this rivalry because I feel like it was so much more than these two coaches, but a lot of times people point to yeah. these two coaches as like that's the start. And it's disappointing because of like it's like who they are is I'll be honest. I'm, I'm going to let it out. I know I'm supposed to be trying to, I'm about to be kind of objective, but it was like Harbaugh and Carroll. And it's like, it's like for such an epic hard hitting rivalry, it's like, Oh, those are the two guys. Yeah. Those from the pack 10. Yeah. You know, that started this. It's like, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, but we, wh- how much to of like, what do you think about when you think about Jim Harbaugh and Pete Carroll and, their like impact on this rivalry no i think they brought some juice to it though for sure like i I just think the animosity and if you're not familiar like you know Jeremy was talking about you know like the pac-10 guys at the time and you know Pete carroll being at usc and harbaugh being at stanford and those those were great games too And, and stanford was the only real team that was out there that could match up with usc maybe oregon a little bit but stanford was the one i was seeing beating the usc often, you know, and, and the way they were doing it was kind of the same makeup. They had, you know, the great offensive lines and, you know, um, they were playing good defense, solid physical defense. And I just running games in the running games. Yeah, for sure. And then what happened was I think he brought that philosophy with him in San Francisco. And then, cause again, like Pete Carroll was hired, what, 2010 and then Harbaugh was brought in the 2011. So they had a little stuff going on from college, not a little stuff. They had, they had, they didn't like each other, you know, it seemed like, and, you bring them to the NFL in the same division with these two teams. And, you know, they added some juice to it for sure. I, I don't really think of them too when I think about these two teams and what they were doing at this era. But I know a lot of people do because it's like an easy – it's a juicy story. But I do think they did – because they were both characters, especially Pete Carroll. You know what I'm saying? Like he was a real big character. And they just – they were really animated on the sidelines. You know what I mean? Like so it was like you see them getting excited – you see their teams behind them getting excited. 
So it brought a little bit of juice. I, I'll say that, but I don't think it's it's the reason why these two teams did not like each right. other. No, and I think that's that's you know what I look at it as is like all right, they're they're definitely a footnote in this rivalry, right. like a, a part of it. But I feel like especially hindsight, be able to look back on like it, it was so much more than those guys, yeah. and like they're so. They may have started it, and we can give that coaching rivalry credit for helping to trigger it. But like the front office moves, the the build, you know, taking certain guys from other people, and then obviously, most importantly, on the field, it's what is making this rivalry and how hard hitting and so much was on the line that I kind of in our bigger than the game, the way we can try to give our impact on sports history, don't want to give like the Harbaugh. Carol, like, like that's like, oh, that's why yeah. this rivalry, yeah. because that's like the tenth reason why this rivalry is interesting to me. There's so much more to it, you know. What I will say, what I have to be honest about, when Seattle brought in Pete Carroll, I was one of the loudest people saying, "What a mistake! It was a terrible move." And I can admit when I was wrong, I was dead wrong on Pete Carroll. Yeah. Um. He obviously got a Super Bowl, went to two Super Bowls with him. Um, and the Seahawks have been a competitive team throughout, you know, since 2010. Yeah. You know, with different faces, you know, and we're seeing it now. They got their first year without Russell Wilson. Many this past year in 2022, you know, now People we're People wrote them off this year for sure. People wrote them off and, you know, they got to the playoffs. Yeah. They were in there. Um, so Pete Carroll has done a better job than I thought. If I look at, you know, Jeremy back in 2010, I thought, because I thought USC, I thought as great of a run he had at USC, left a lot on the table. And those later years, it was like, yo, you can't go to Oregon State and beat Oregon State. Come on, man. Um, yeah. and, and they were talented squads, and they couldn't get the job done. I thought you would And how team, he left them, too. And like, how he left them. was super suspect to me. And I was like, that that was, that was like a, like a, for lack of a better term, a bitch move, right? Like he, you know, he had all this talent and, and I didn't mean to jump in there, but he had no, all this cool. talent and, you know, they won a lot. And then when stuff started getting rough, he bailed on them. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then that, and I remember when he was hired, that was, that was a conversation for sure. Definitely. No, definitely it was. And to me, it, it, he was a prime example and there's many of them of and we're this is for another episode but of like the hypocrisy in college sports but you know college football we could focus on where players are suffering but what was he 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 got rewarded for sanctions coming to usc and all that but the players suffered. reggie bush suffered reggie bush's legacy got tanked his heisman got taken away but Pete carroll got rewarded richly going back to the NFL. And there's no question he could say whatever. That was timed perfectly oh, yeah. to get out while that, you know, ship is sinking. You know, so um, I'm not a fan of Pete Carroll, I'll be honest. But I can honestly say he has far surpassed my expectations. Yeah, I, I would say this about Pete Carroll. The one thing I didn't think was going to work was like that rah-rah, like energetic coach, that that – you can't sustain that. And I'll give him credit. He has, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like he's very animated. He's one of those player coaches. And he was always like a really good defensive coach. Like I, I remember him in with new England and all that, like back in the day, 
But I'll, I'll say this with these two coaches, what I think, you know, what they did from being like, again, being hired in 2010 and 2011 from, from college was they brought that insight with a lot of these players. And yes, these two GMs were great, but they knew most of these guys, right. From, from mm -hmm. that college, from their college tenure. And they, and I'm sure that helped, you know, when it came to draft time and, and getting these players. So, yeah, I don't want to like, again, it's not the first stone that I look at that like, we can step on when it's, we talk about this rival, but their impact, I think, from that perspective was enormous. You know what I'm saying? Because, again, like, they knew that college game better than anyone, right? Like, who was in, in the NFL? And when it comes to coaches, and they, I just think they brought that experience with them and, and, and the knowledge that they had of most of these guys. Like, you know, Pete Carroll drafts Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman played where? Stanford. Like, so he knew. Under Jim the, Harbaugh. Right, right. So he knew what Sherman can do. And not that Sherman was a first-round top-ten pick, but he knew Sherman from – playing against them so i just think from that perspective they had a huge impact but i think for this viral like rivalry i think that's where it ends honestly i and i think that point because doug ball wasn't the same stanford guy under jim harbaugh right uh jim harbaugh did not take these guys Pete carroll did and like he's you know Pete carroll did see them and stuff like that and so he faced them in college so right. okay i think that's the most interesting part if they're impacting this rivalry is the fact that like how history could have changed if Jim Harbaugh saw more in his guys, honestly, yeah. and who knows what he says. Maybe he might be able to say, you know, revisionist history. I wanted them and we were going to blah, blah, blah. I, yeah. He did not want those guys. No, you know, he, he did not want, and those because are two Doug Baldwin key was guys. Undrafted, right? Right. Right. So, so he, he didn't want them. So I think that's the most interesting part of those two coaches. Um, also, on the flip side, though, I thought Jim Harbaugh was going to be a good fit in the NFL. So did I, yeah. So that's where it's funny because – And he was. And I think he – Right. He was. You know, I think he did a great job in the NFL with, with that 49ers team. And, again, with the Alex Smith stuff, Alex Smith was a bust. Like, let's just keep it real. Like – and Jim Harbaugh helped turn that around. And Andy Reid helped turn that around too. But, you know, Jim Harbaugh was the starting point there. He was and the then, one. Right. And what he did with Kaepernick was impressive. So he can coach. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I know there was rumors of him leaving Michigan now, which I wish I wish would have happened. But um, thank God. Yeah, like that didn't <laughs> happen. But, you know, I think he's he's gonna be he could be a really good NFL. He was a really good NFL head coach. Right. You know, his first three years. Uh, championship game appearance in each of those years and a Super Bowl appearance. Right. So, I mean, he, he came out swinging. And to be fair, you could say people, well, he had that team. No, 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 no. Because uh -huh. Mike Singletary wasn't leading these guys. Nope. And the, the, the Niners had a lot of these pieces before. Jo you know, Staley and Vernon, like, and they weren't yeah, winning Willis. nothing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they were a losing team until Jim Harbaugh brought can't, his I can't win with them. I can't yeah. win with them. Can't do it. Can't do it. I want winners. And he had them. Yeah. You know, and, and he, you know, I, whatever. I, I like Mike Singletary as a coach, too. I think a, he was a good linebacker coach for Baltimore and all that, and he helped develop Ray Lewis even better than when he was. He wasn't ready to be a head coach. No, 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 no. And um, and he still had a little bit of success his first year, but that was it. Um, no, no, that, yeah. Yeah, but, again, I, I, I agree with you, Jeremy, like, 
you know, these two coaches get talked about like too much when it comes to when it comes to these two teams and these games in between this this little era where we're talking about. But again, it goes back to like the the great players that that both these teams had, and and again the animosity they have for each other. But I think the way they were, they were built so similar that I just think they just try to always outdo themselves, and that's what made these games tremendous to watch. Yeah, you know, a funny thing is, is I think what I also liked is I think it's cool when you see in all sports a team. Now, San Fran had been in the spotlight. They had won. They had the Montana wall. So we've seen San Fran. But when you get a team that's not really in the spotlight of franchise and then they kind of emerge and they get that popularity. And I know Seattle did go to the Super Bowl with Mike Holmgren in 05. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had Sean Alexander. But they, they weren't on that, like, national stage like they played in the bowl but not everyone was like talking about them but then it was cool here like i think to see like it was like the old versus the new the niners were the established yeah. franchise and then seattle's this like they've been around but they never had really gotten this attention like that right and i think like that's what i kind of liked it, it kind of you know i compare it to like golden state yes very good. One thing I've loved about the Warriors is seeing them get that spotlight. And it's a city that I always knew because I had family out there. Like, they love basketball. They were hungry for it. And they yeah. could get over that hump. And you'll see that fan base. And you had little glimmers run TMC, the 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 Warriors with Barron when they beat the, the Mavs and, you know, that 06 or 07. I think 07. So, like, you had some showings. But then when, now that this dynasty happened – it was like, wow, the Warriors, Oracle, like, it's cool to see them be on the NBA map and be on the top of it. That's kind of how I felt about Seattle at this time. Like, it was cool to see them get on that map and get that attention because it's not a place we're used to. All right, I love it, Lambeau. We, we, when they're successful, we're, we know the Lambeau thing. Pittsburgh, you know, if it's the Giants, the Cowboys, we're, I love our traditional teams, yeah. but it's cool to see these teams that aren't, in the spotlight, they're a newer franchise, and they get to rise, and they get to share that stage. Yeah, and they rose and stood there. You know what I'm saying? Like, and they 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 left their mark on the league for sure. And again, the run is sort of still continuing. I know it's like a totally different like face of the team, and but you look at what they did for the city of Seattle. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. And they had you know that 12th man thing. It's like a huge thing, and you know the the name of the uh, the stadium is slipping my mind, but I keep thinking Safeco, but it's not is Safeco. It's a Quester. I, I should know the stadium too. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's. I know it's City Link Field, Century Link, but I don't feel like it was always. It was something no, else. It was before. something else. Yeah, but I, I, it's slipping my mind. But when you think about loud, you know, venues and arenas like or or stadiums, that's one of the first ones you think about now. And the, the way they developed that stadium and how they kind of like. You know, the architect, however he did that, like kind of the way they built it is like just makes it in a louder and louder place. And it was it was the best home field advantage for what, eight or nine years. You know what I'm saying? Like a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So you add that to this mix and you add that to this defense and them being able to get that jump. And it, it was it was just a perfect storm. And and kudos to the Seahawks fans. Like they made that place a tough, 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 tough place to, to go in there and win. And. And a lot of teams couldn't do it. You know what I'm saying? A lot of teams couldn't go in there and win. 49ers were one of those teams that could. But, you know, we're talking about 2013. And then starting 2014, the Seahawks going a 10-0 run against the 49ers. 
and we touched on it a little bit earlier. I think the, the development of Russell Wilson and, again, losing Bowman, Patrick Willis retiring, and then everything will happen with Alden Smith and his issues off the field just kind of decimated this defense and, you know, and just kind of brought them, brought them back to normal, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, again, when the 49ers retooled and, you know, did that, like, then that changed. But, again, like, Seattle took off and the 49ers after the season were, were pretty much done. Yeah, it really did hurt them. And uh, you mentioned the crowd. And it was Quest Field, so it was Quest. Now Century, you know, Link. But um, it has a unique design yeah. that was built to make it noisier. It is such a noisy place. Everybody, you hear players, coach, they say loudest stadium. They're going to say Seattle. And, and that's really cool to see. And to see them this past decade get that shine. And, you know, I love that mix. I love the, the mix of the tradition and the old. I love watching a game at Lambeau. Or they, yeah. We talked about it. If you listen to our show, the old those NFC East teams and that rivalry, that's that's awesome. I love that. But I love seeing these new places come up because it's a different experience. And it's like that whole connecting the country thing. Right. So I, I, I give it a lot of credit. And that was cool. And, and I can say when you watch this 2013 championship game, the most hype, I, I don't remember Joe Buck being that hype for a game. Joe Buck was ready to go, man. Yeah, at the beginning of that game, he was all about the stadium, man. He was all yeah. about the crowd, and he was, and he was even saying it, man. This is one of the loudest places I, he's ever been. And I mean, if you go back, man, he was he was ready to go, man. Joe Buck looked like he was about to throw throwing the cleats on something. That's man. what like, something like I, I've heard him get excited for a call. It's like the whole game, and it's a great yeah. game. I mean, it's yeah. an exciting game. But he's hyped from like that intro and Joe Buck to me when he did do those Fox intros, he was kind of like, yeah, this year was bad with them. But yeah, he wasn't that great. Yeah, yeah, you know, we'll give him a pass first year of Monday Night Football. Yeah, maybe he needs to. Get I like Joe up. Buck though. A lot of people. I hate do him. too. So a lot of people I really too. hate him. I I don't. I like Joe Buck. I like Joe Buck. Um, I think had a really tough task come being the son of a legendary yeah. broadcaster like that, and um. Not easy being the lead for both football and baseball. I think baseball, I miss them, honestly. I was like, just I, still going to say that. <laughs> I, with this run this year, the Phillies had, I was like, man, like Joe Davis did a great job. But, like, I was like, man, I was thinking about it early when I was watching the game. And I was like, man, like, I miss Joe Buck doing baseball. Yeah, I think he's better at baseball. And I think yeah, the broadcast haven't been the same for, like, these playoffs since he's been gone. Um so, but Joe Buck was was excited. He was hyped for this. So I, I got to give him credit. And it's kind of, it's weird because I feel like if you show this game to a younger person, a kid who is maybe in high school now, right? Maybe starting college age, you know, so anywhere 14 to 18 or something like that. I think they would think a lot of this is boring, Jose. Because yeah. it's not like they're so used to, up and down scoring, and that's the only way it, I feel like younger generation of football fans feel like it can be exciting. But, man, this was – it's it's an exciting game from start to finish with those hard hits. It's yeah. physical. And I do – I know you said it on here. I gave you credit a lot when we did football episodes. You missed those defensive struggle games. And we know, like, why it's changed and things do evolve, I guess. But – it just kind of reminded me of that of a thing that you bring up. 
I miss these hard-hitting defensive battles. Like, I'm not saying every game needs to be like that, but when we can mix that in there and we can have it, it's it's yeah. a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah, that's why, like, I couldn't wait for this Dallas 49ers game. I knew exactly what it was going to be like coming into coming into the weekend, and I knew what those defenses were going to do. Because, again, you have two – and these are two really good defenses this year, like – they try to outdo each other, man, and they get they get jacked for these games, man. And after that, these two offenses were getting beat the hell up this past weekend, and that's what these these games were like with Seattle and 49ers. And again, like yeah, you mentioned, I love those games, you know, because those are like the nail biter games. Like those are the ones that you know any minute now it could be a sack, strip sack, and you know the ball can be going the other way, or you know the interception, or whatever the case may be, man. Like when you have dominant defenses like that. You know, I remember, you know, watching that, you know, Bills Chiefs game last year it was like 41 to 42. Like, yeah, that was fun to watch. But for me, man, I'm, I'm give me 22, 21 to 17 with, with, you know, just great hitting and, and all that good stuff, man. And just like the, the intensity, because you can feel that intensity when it's an up and down game. There's no intensity there. They're, they're just running up the score. When you have teams like this who play like this, they, they, there's a lot of intensity, and that comes out of that comes through the TV. No, I I think a game like this, and I'm not saying it's a great game. I'm not going to call it like a top ten of all time or nothing. No, nah, no. Nah. But I think a game I love is like the first half is like kind of like gridlock. It's hard hitting, and like you know, in halftime, there's a lot of adjustments because they're like we uh, we can't we can't move the ball on them. The third quarter, you see some things open up. And in that fourth, you see him kind of going. And like you said, it's like 21-17, 24-21. But you look at the halftime score, it was like 7-6 or something right, like that. Right. Like I, I love a game like that where it's like you, the offense kind of has to figure out how to overcome a defense where, like you said, that Bills-Chiefs divisional playoff game last year was a great game. But it almost felt like, you know – Hey, the the defense just like whoever can yeah. just throw in the towel first. Like the defense <laughs> yeah. is just they're like nonchalant, like flag football. And I'm like this, I'm like it's not a competition. It was just whoever gets the ball last. Yeah. It wasn't like oh Buffalo's going to stop KC. It's like oh man, you hear Romo, you gave Mahomes a chance, and it's like yeah, you gave him a chance. You're going to lose because there's no defense. Yeah. I don't like that. Like that that takes a little bit away from for from the it for me. So. It's 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 a little bit frustrating sometimes watching the game now. I'm not trying to be old man, get off my my you right. know, lawn. It's just I really do feel if you show it to a young, I wonder if you show it to your son, would he appreciate the game as much? Like yeah, you know your son's eighteen. Yeah, if he watches this like the whole game through, is he going to be like yeah, or will he think until the fourth quarter it's a boring game? I I kind of wonder. Yeah, I, I'm I'm going I'm going to mind put that I might put that to the test um, and come back and with some reports. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. I really yeah. am because your son's a fan. Yeah, you know he yeah. knows the game. You know, so um, I, I'd love to see if I, I I hope I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm wrong because this is a great game and it is like it, it's great hitting. But you know, for three quarters of this game, the Niners are up. Yeah. The Niners are leading really throughout. And Jose, when I was re-watching getting ready for this show, we know which one, if you do a legendary defense and all that, Seattle is way going to be above this Niner one in people's minds. What would you say if I said for three quarters of this, it looked like the Niners defense 
was out playing the Seahawk defense. And now both defenses are doing their thing, but that Niner defense going on the road, going into at the time Quest Field, how loud it is. That Niner defense, it almost looks like they were out playing the, the Seahawk defense for the first three quarters. Yeah, they were. I'll, I'll agree with that 100%. You know, and you you touched on it earlier when we were talking about, you know, that linebacker core. Like, I think personally, and you said it too, Jeremy, like, I think when Navarro Bowman got hurt, I think the whole game shifted. You know what I'm saying? Because, again, one, that was a turnover. Like, if we're being yeah. honest, like, that was a turnover. That was a – and, again, like, they didn't score because they got the ball back anyway. But, like – you know, if they keep that turnover and it was such a, like a great play, like that just gives you even more energy, you know, as a team. But I think once he gets hurt, that's it. Like, I just think it, that, that 49ers defense started, wasn't playing as well, which they needed to do, you know? And again, I just think they lost a big time leader and it just, it really, I think, I don't want to say took the steam out of the defense, but again, you can see what happened to them afterwards and Russ started making bigger plays Dude started getting open over the middle, and it was just a it's a domino effect. Um, but yeah, I think that's the most. I think that was the biggest play of the game. Yeah, and I think you're right. And I think people may say, but like, yeah, he's not. And that's the thing about the game. You know, you know, we got to watch it because he's not an offensive player. So what about Navarro Bowman leaving because he Patrick Willis was the heart and soul. Navarro Bowman was the enforcer. Yeah. Navarro Bowman, I don't care what anyone says in that Seahawk offense. If to me, the guy you feared the most if for 2013, that's Navarro Bowman. You might say Justin Smith is a close second for what he's doing, who you get the game plan or who can really. But I think at this point, Navarro Bowman was that guy. He, he brought uh, to an already confident group of guys, he brought a different kind of swag. It was like a yeah. quiet confidence. And I feel like when he went down, it shifted. I feel like the Niners kind of went like, oh, man. And the Seahawks said, we got a chance. Yep. That was the opportunity. Yeah. Right. And I think it goes back to what you were talking about with Patrick Willis. It's like Patrick Willis is still in the game, right? So what? What? why should that have changed so much? And it was because, again, that season, Bowman was the better player. You know what I mean? Like, And if you didn't believe that, when Deremy said it at first, I just think the proof's in the pudding what happened after that injury. And, again, the, the whole game shifted, and that was because they lost their best defense player. And, and 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 what we said here, because I really do think, and Kaepernick gets overlooked for, like, the run he had, and I do think Colin Kaepernick, he's not the biggest case of this, but he's a case of if he – came out a little bit later yeah what kind of player he would have been i feel like he's a little bit this is the this isn't quite they're starting to bring in rpos you know we talked about it in the previous episode with the early 2010 ego eagles like they're starting to do that but it's not what you're seeing now like that college game fully up here in the nfl they're running the pistol with colin kaepernick but i think if he can comes in like five years later where they start building offenses directly for quarterback, like we see with like Lamar Jackson in Baltimore and things like that. I think Colin Kaepernick is different, but I do think the the fourth quarter, you see the difference in Russell, which is so easy to pick on Russ in 2023 for what he did this past year with Denver. But we got to remember the career he had in Seattle and the dynamic player and, they don't win a Super Bowl without Russell Wilson. 
absolutely not. And, you know, we touched on it a few times. I just, we, I think, you know, his evolution is what put them past the 49ers. And it started with this game. You know, it started with this fourth quarter. And it was just him stepping up and making more plays than what Colin Kaepernick can do. You know, and Kaepernick missed some throws in this fourth quarter. Russ didn't. You know, Russ made more plays with his feet. Russ got dudes open with his feet. You know, and it, it was just, you know, again, the Bowman thing happened. And I think the 49ers were like in shock because they knew that was a big injury. That did not look good right from the jump. And, and I just think that was part one. And then part two was what, what Wilson was able to do in the fourth quarter. And I give him credit, man. Like, you know, you talked about him being clutch earlier in the show. He was, you know what I'm saying? Like I've, I've seen him do that to a lot of teams. And, you know, when you think the Seahawks are down and they're down eight or nine, and it's like, no, nah, Russ is going to make a bunch of plays and he's going to put you in a position to win the game. I've seen him do that often. And this game here was for me, like one of the first big moments I was like, yo, this dude is legit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he had a great season. They went 13 and three in the second year. But I was like, this dude is is going to be a great player. And because you're looking at it, he he's taking a lot of hits from yeah. this team. You know, the Niners are coming after him. We mentioned earlier probably the big edge that the Niners had, in my opinion, over the the Seahawks was the offensive line. You know, the, the, the Seahawks O-line wasn't – it was okay. It wasn't an elite-level O-line like the Niners at this era had. So he has to do a lot of running around. And sometimes you can look at it and be like, is he holding the ball too long or yeah. what's he doing? But I feel like in this game, he kind of had to make like these Houdini plays because Alden Smith was coming after him. Before Bowman got hurt, he was. Justin Smith's coming up the middle. He kind of had to run around, and the fact that he's extending the play and he hits that bit, you know, a big pass to Baldwin. He gets that thirty-five yard touchdown pass to Jermaine Curse to get their first lead. You know, early in the fourth, that was just huge stuff, Jose. Yeah, it was. He was playing great. He took over the game, man. And and I, I guess I don't know if he does that with Bowman still playing. I think he still does. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I as great as Bowman was, and as great he was playing that game. Yeah, his injury was a big deal, but I still think Russ is making these plays. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe he may make one or two less, but, again, that touchdown, the curse is still happening. You know what I'm saying? That big play to Baldwin is still happening. Like, I just think Russ stepped his game up, man, big time. And, and again, it was just not his coming out party, but it was just that, for me, that one big moment where it was like, this dude is legit, man. He's going to be a great player in his league for, for the next 10 years, man. And he was putting it – he was, he was showing the country right there, like what he was made out of. And again, they went 13 and three. He made a lot of great plays this season, but he took over this fourth quarter, man. And again, that's where it was just a glimpse of like why, where these two teams were going. It was just like one guy, one team had the better quarterback and the other quarterback couldn't make enough plays. Russ did. And they, they won the ball game. Really? They did. And you know, they, they get a field goal to go up 23, 17, but I, I just will say this. Um, you know, Bowman gets hurt on what was a fumble, and he winds up coming down with, like I said earlier, and they somehow they miss that call and give it back to Seattle. Yeah. And they're on the one-yard line. They hand it off to Marshawn Lynch, and this is something that people talk about a lot for a different game. Mm-hmm. Marshawn gets hit. That ball goes out, fumbled. 49 get the ball back. I don't know, Jose. I've always thought this. Even I forgot about that play. Yeah, Not the exactly. Bowman play. Bo- the Bowman play still sticks yeah, out. Yeah, 
I never forgot that one because it was the end of a great career, honestly, great career. like you said, yeah. with Navarro Bowman. But people that next year, you know, Malcolm Butler's interception, people, we still hear it. You should have just ran the ball with Lynch. You should have just ran the ball with Lynch. I was one of the few people that I knew back then that I didn't think it was a bad call. I thought it was just a great play made it by Malcolm Butler. Yeah. But I didn't think it was a bad call, like a bad decision. It's just they made a – it was great coaching and a great play by Malcolm Butler. I'd like people to look at this because it's not a guarantee that if you just hand it off to Lynch for you know another couple more downs, he's automatically going to get in there against that Patriot defense the next year. People think it was a, a beast mode. He would have got, and he was a great short distance runner. But it's not it's not a guarantee because we see that Niner D that ball came out pretty good in in this championship game, and that fumble happened. So I just want people to remember that who just say that was a terrible call, worst call Super Bowl history. Not so fast, my friends. Yeah, there's there's some history behind that. Yeah, there's always there's always history behind every play. And and I, I'm trying to remember, like, he might have been fumbling that ball before he even got hit. Like it was just like a rough exchange and you know, he didn't have full control of the ball, but when he took that hit, that ball popped out. Like, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like it wasn't like he just fell. It it popped out. And I'm surprised they didn't run that back. Um, but I thought when that happened, I was like, Here here we go. Like 49ers are gonna drive down the field and win this game. And again, you can make mistakes like that when you have a great defense behind you, and it's going to be hard if you for it was. Again, we talked about Alex Smith and 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 how they needed bigger plays, you know, big like more of explosive plays. They needed some one of those in that drive, and they just couldn't come up with it. And you know, again, the Seahawks defense did what they do. You know, they didn't lose anybody. You know, what I'm saying like they they were still healthy and playing well, and there was no way Kaepernick was going to drive down and win that game on for them. No, I mean, so we, we got to look at it, you know, that last drive. The, the Niners did move the ball quickly yeah. down to the red zone, and they needed that touchdown, you know, to, to tie it up and the extra point to take the lead. Um, we had mentioned him, Cliff Averill. You brought him up earlier, you know, that uh, a, a heck of a pass rushing, you know, DN, and, and he got after Colin Kaepernick and Kaepernick. What he did the, the same year before to lose the Super Bowl to the Ravens, that fade to the right side of the end zone to Michael Crabtree, and you see Richard Sherman making the play of his life, getting that got tip him in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, real. Got gets him in wrongly in the Hall of Fame probably, but Richard Sherman gets that tip to Malcolm Smith to go get that interception and pretty much lock up the NFC Championship for the Seahawks. Let's send you down to the field and Aaron Andrews. Joe, thank you so much. Richard, let me ask you the final play. Take me through it. Well, I'm the best corner That's in the right. game. When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're going to get. Don't you ever talk about me. Who was talking about you? Crabtree, don't you open your mouth about the best. Are you on the center for you real quick? L-O-B. All right. Oof. Uh, a lot. I was like... That's what I'm talking about, man. You know, I became I became a fan right there, but he was right though. He was about right. which part? About trying him with Crabtree. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. right. Not the best that. corner in the game, but I I say, no, nah, he yeah, was the best corner in the game. 
Michael Crabtree, yeah, was not nah. on that level. I agree with that. But let me let me let's go to that. Because Richard Sherman, and that's what made me conflicted with him throughout his career, is he did a lot of things that I didn't like. He was I'll be honest, annoying in a lot of ways, but then he brought up good points, which made me would be like, you're annoying, but I'm going to defend you here because people are taking it too far with their criticism. And everything, to me, it's summed up with what happened after the play. And with this interview, defines yeah. Richard Sherman, in my opinion, which is it's so conflicting as, like, the athlete, which is I thought it was wrong. I looked at him as wrong. That play's tough. It just happened. Crabtree, hands on He's walking. They just blew their chance to go back to the Super Bowl. He's down. So you run over, you pat him on the butt, and try to shake his hand. He he doesn't want that. I don't blame him for pushing you out the way. To me, after the game, you can shake a hand. But in that moment, what are you doing? And that's how I felt. Yeah, I, I, I didn't like that either. You know what I'm saying? Like, And I, I don't blame Crabtree. But, again – Plus, there's history there. It's not like this is the first game where they were going at it. There's history right. there, and that's the thing. Like, I think that's where I don't think he was doing. Richard Sherman was doing it to like show him up. I think I thought he was sincere, like in, in going up to him and you know shaking his hand because they were probably just getting it on the whole game and they've been getting it on for a couple years at this point. But I just think he needed to wait ten minutes, like you know what I'm saying, like and and just let Crabtree kind of like process everything that just happened. You know, if he's running around and, you know, cheering and all that stuff, like, you know, then goes up to him and shakes his hand and then Crabtree does that, then I get it. Like, then I then then you can go on a rant and, and talk your stuff. But I think, like, I just think it was poor judgment on his on his part, like, to go up to him immediately after that play happened and try to shake his hand and stuff like that. Because, again, there was history. It's not like there wasn't history before. If there right. wasn't history, then I'm like, all right, Crabtree, what are you doing? Like, you're kind of – like, I get you're upset, but the dude's coming up to you to shake his hand. But there was a lot of history between these two guys. You just can't do it at that moment. There's a lot of history, and I do think, in a weird way, you're right. He was initially trying to be sincere, but it's all weird, right? Because yeah, Crabtree's yeah. going – it's not like even, like, the play happened – and they're right next to each other. He's he going to, down. yeah, he chased. So let him go at that point is what I say. Let him go. Like, it's not like he's right next to you. And then you do that. You chase him down the pat on the butt. And then the, like, yeah, I don't blame it. Like it's the heart. He had the emotion. It just freaking happened. Yeah. He was wrong in my opinion. And I still feel that way to this day for that. Now the interview is whatever. But where I get conflicted and where I have to defend them is then what so many pundits, former coaches, broadcasters said about Richard Sherman after that Aaron Andrews interview and calling him a thug and calling him all these things. And Richard Sherman saying what, you know, thug, a code word for the N word, a code word. And then me being like, absolutely. And the criticism went way too far. So that whole thing sums up how I feel about Richard Sherman off the field a lot of times, which is, man, you annoy me. But then, yes, they're using these words against you just because they don't – how you look, color your skin, you have braids, and they're forgetting that you're a Stanford-educated guy. dude. It's an intelligent you know, dude. Very intelligent dude. And not just intelligent for a football player. Intelligent, period, Richard right. Sherman, you know, is – and yet they're missing that point. 
and they're going with these critiques of he's thug, he's this, and all that stuff, which was furthest from the truth about Richard Sherman. Right, and I think that intelligence helped him be the player that he was. Right, he wasn't the fastest dude, like, but he can anticipate. Sure. He studied like he studied film. Obviously, they all study film, but you know, when you're in a, like an intelligent dude like that. You know, and you're putting in that type of work, then you're going to get a lot of those results. Um, but I agree. Like he was the, the one thing I didn't like about the interview. It took away from the game, right? It took away from what sure. those, two, those two teams were doing, what those two two defenses were doing, what Russ did at the fourth in the fourth quarter, and it became all about Richard Sherman and Michael Crabtree, right? I love loud. Dudes like that. Like, I, I just love it, man. You know what I'm saying? And I just think there's a time and place for that. Like, he put himself before, like, the team and like, all those cliches, right, that you hear. But they were talking real crazy about Richard Sherman. I don't think that was called for it. If you want to say he was taken away from the team and all that, I'm I'm there with you. Like, I, I agree with that. But you can't – stuff they were saying that is absolutely not true. And he was he's probably one of the smartest players in the league, you know. And I, I – Again, I just think it was the look and all that. Like, he was going off, you know, and it just didn't look good. for It didn't look right for him. Because I remember watching this game, and I was like, damn. Like, what is this dude doing? Like, he's talking some crazy stuff, and then he just walks off, you know. And um, it, it was – it was I don't know if it was a bad moment for him, but it, it was just a moment that's going to stick out forever in his career. And it's just like when you think of Richard Sherman, you think of this interview, you know. And, again, like, he made a great play on the ball. He didn't intercept the ball, but Malcolm Smith intercepted it, and then Malcolm Smith becomes a you know Super Bowl MVP the next game, and you know it's just it was a great play, but it was just taken away by the interview. It was. I I do think the interview was wrong. I think many people used that as a chance to attack him yeah. and attack Seattle, right? And this team they were loud and brash, and it's the thing that we've seen in sports over and over when it's not the establishment. When it's an upstart, and I know they're all NFL franchises, but Seattle, they weren't the 49ers. Mm -hmm. You know, they weren't these other teams. They weren't the New England Patriots. You know, so, hey, you got this guy who is talking trash, saying, I'm going to stop Tom Brady, and then he goes up to him after he does it and then says, hey, you mad, bro? People didn't like that. People were like, who is this team in the West Coast? Who are these guys, these low-round draft picks talking noise? People don't like that, and I think, hey, they beat the Niners, and then you got he's going to get the golden boy, Peyton Manning, you know, yeah. and all that stuff. People didn't want to see this team. They didn't want this team. A lot of those establishment guys, those old, I'll be real, the old white guys covering the game, wanted to see Peyton Manning, you know, crown him, and he's the greatest at that point, looking at it, like the greatest quarterback of all time. They didn't want to see these guys doing this. So I do feel like he it went too far with the interview, but the criticism. Yeah was unnecessary and that's why i was like man you're giving him a chance to do that but i do love how he responded at that time mm -hmm. to what a lot of people were saying too i do too i i, I like how, i love how he responded he was going on shows and just kind of like breaking a lot of those like you know like what they were saying about him he was breaking it down and he was putting it right back in their faces but in a very like respectful intelligent way that they couldn't even argue back after that it was like mm -hmm. you didn't hear you didn't hear too much afterwards but he had to go around and do the rounds, you know what I'm saying? Like, and go on the Skip Bayless shows and all that, the cold pizzas and all them shows, right? And and defend himself when he didn't have to, you know what I'm saying? He made a great play. He was a good player on a really great defensive team that just won the Super Bowl. 
and he has to defend himself over over an interview. So I, I I think it was a bit much, but he brought it upon himself, you know. But he was a guy that can handle it, and he I think he handled it pretty well. Well, I I do think this made him. I mean, three careers. I think I don't think Michael Crabtree is talked about without this. Nope. And I do think Aaron Andrews. Yep. I think I still think the thing you'll think about for there. I mean, at least so far, is this interview. I think Aaron Andrews. You'll go to this interview and her flustered reaction to everything. So yeah, I think she was taken. She was back. shook. <laughs> like, she, she was, was shook. Like, what is going on here? You know, but. Because he wasn't just talking. He was yelling. You know what I'm saying? He was fired up. He was fired up. And she was just like, you can see the face like, oh, okay, I got to keep the mic here. You know, Mm -hmm. and then he just walks off on her. She's she's thinking she's getting a five-minute interview. It ain't happening. He he walked right off on her. And she was there stuck, not knowing what else to say. But, um, yeah, no, it made made a couple careers. It ended Crabtree's career, I thought, too. Like, because he was a solid player. He was – I don't know. He's not – wasn't a bust, but he – you know, when he came out of Texas Tech, he was going to be this great wide receiver, and that didn't he pan out. And I think Richard Sherman just ended that career right there in that moment. Do you think without the post game stuff, and say everything else is the same, you know, there's a colorful personality, how much of this play is talked about if we don't have the post game? Like, you're oh, just that like, play? Oh, no, without no, nothing. <laughs> I don't okay. even think it's talked about, like, honestly. Like, it was a, it was a great play on his, on Sherman's part, but. I think the interview escalates the play uh, times 10. And I'm glad you said that. Thank you for that. That If I was a lawyer, case closed. Like The biggest play of his career, and it was a great play, but we don't talk about it if he doesn't have that interview. Like I, That's all I'll say. We not mentioned it. I appreciate you setting me up like that. <laughs> I had to. I had to. It was right there. It was right there. So I just wanted to let that out for people. It's infamous post-game stuff. It was a great play, but we're not talking about that play at all, you know, nearly you know, nine years later if he doesn't have all these, everything else afterwards. So thank you, Jose. So if you're listening on the podcast, this dude's got the biggest smile in, in the world right now. But <laughs> it's all good. He set me up. We'll, we'll leave it at that. No, nah, so, Leo, this was so much fun to look at this yeah. rivalry. And the thing is, it, it, it really, like you said, was a, th- a real three-year run because, like, 2014, they're still talking about it, but the Niners – I mean, yeah, the Niners are, are done. But um, it's it's one that I hope gets talked about the way, like – it's not as great as, like, the Niners-Cowboys of the 90s no. or Steelers-Raiders of the 70s and stuff like that. But it, it's a special one. It needed a couple more years. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like if they if this if this goes into like 2017 and they're still beating the shit out of each other and they're playing in meaningful playoff games, right? I think then we got something. But you know, the greatness of it was it was so short and it was just like it left so much meat on the bone. But again, like a lot of these injuries started to come to play and a lot of off the field stuff started happening and it just, you know, they couldn't get over that. But no, I agree. It doesn't match out there. But I I would give it like you know, I would match it up with like Packers Cowboys in the nineties. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. and even though the Cowboys beat the shit out of the Packers for those years, it was still they were playing often in meaningful games. I would go with like rivals like that. Gotcha. I agree. I agree. And um I think for me the last thing I feel we want to say is 
I'm a guy who believes in building through the draft. I think it's important. I think it's like the preferred best way. But if I'm honest, people can give a devil's advocate by looking at these Niners because you never know when that window is closing. After this game, like we've said, you would have thought that Niners were going to be there. It winds up being until that Super Bowl in, you know, 2019, right before, you know, that season right before COVID hit. Yeah. That was their first time in the playoffs since this game. The Niners franchise goes down. So some people say when you're there, you you go all out and you make these moves to win it now, like the L.A. Rams did last year, because you never know when you're going to be back there. So there, there's, you know, pluses and minuses to both sides, but – the, the, these early 2010 Niners are a reminder of that. We would have thought all these guys would have been there for the rest of the decade, and after this game, the franchise wasn't the same for a while. Yeah, and I, I know we're wrapping up, but um, I think it's two things, right? I think Harbaugh leaves hurts Kaepernick, right? Which you know, yeah. Kaepernick hurting the team, and not hurting the team, but like his play not elevating is a part of that. And I just think what happens to Bowman, Willis, and Alden Smith is a the biggest part of it, to be honest with you. Um, like those three careers ending in the next couple of seasons, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it, they just didn't recover from that, which I understand because again, like the Bowman thing was like a nasty injury. Patrick Willis retiring, let's be honest, was a shock. You know, he was yeah. at, he was in the prime of his career, the top of his game, and then I I respect it though, hundred percent. And then nobody saw Alden Smith happening with all those off the field issues and stuff. And um, for sure, it was sad, sad to see it end like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then we all know, you know, with Kaepernick, what happened with Kaepernick, with Eric Reed, like all those guys in that situation is just it was an ugly ending um, to a to a team that could have been. I mean, they they had a great run, right? But it could have been an even better run, and it just didn't happen. But on the flip side. The Seahawks kept it together for a bunch of years, and they had a great run. And um, and they're still again in the mix. And what they did, they just put this, they put the Seahawks in in that conversation with Steelers and Cowboys and New England, where it's like they're one of those prominent NFL franchises that dudes want to go play for. Yeah, um, I know we're going long, but hey, people, this is our first yeah we're time recording in 2023, so bear with us, but. You know, Jose, the points you're making, it makes me think, you know, because um, what happened with Seattle the following year and the Malcolm Butler interception, and that really sent them – they had a few more they playoff years, but that that really was the end of that dynastic run, honestly, in a yeah. way, was that Butler interception. I mean, because in 2014, kinda, these two teams played on Thanksgiving, so the league was all about this – Right. These two teams, you know what I'm saying? Right, like, right. So – it just comes down to it where, you know, you got to respect dynasties because, like, how easy it is yeah. something to go wrong where you think, oh, even if you won one and it looks like you're going to go back, but things can change so fast. and it, So it's so hard to repeat or to win multiple in a span. So we got to give it credit. But just like so many other things, I think about, like, the last dance and the ending of it and people saying, oh, we could have gone for seven and how badly it ends. These things, they don't really end smooth. They all yeah. end bad, even for these great teams. And you see the Niners, they, they didn't get that ultimately like being a great team because, but it ended badly for them. And even for Seattle, it it's a shame 
how badly it ended for them. And I, and I do hope when they're all done retired, they can kind of come back and and kind of mend some fences, you know. Yeah, I, I think if Seattle wins that second one, this is an all-time great defense, right? Like it's already an all close to an all-time great defense, but now you're talking like back-to-back Super Bowls, domination for a couple seasons there. Like it's just so many legacies shifted. And you know, I know you know Darmy, but the listeners know it bigger than the game with Darmy Jose. We're we're all about legacies and and was those couple plays here and there that shift the the, the whole dynamic of the NFL. And that 2014 season, that interception, the Malcolm Butler interception, like just shifted so much in how we look at this Seattle team. But again, like I agree, like if they say they win that one and then it finishes kind of rough, they got back to back. A lot of teams are not getting back to back Super Bowls. If they do that, it's different. They didn't do that. And the way it ended is just, it was just a bad, bad look. And not only the way it ended, but it was like defense versus Russell Wilson. Defense talking about Pete Carroll was favoring Russell Wilson. That's why they didn't run the ball on the one yard line. Like, you know, it it was just not. It ended really, really bad, and to the point where they let all these defensive players go and just built around Russ, so that would make him happy. And it, it, it was just. I mean, Earl Thomas getting hurt and giving the finger, giving the finger to the sideline, yeah. his own sideline. You know? Okay. Yeah, saying it, saying it to to the Seahawks management and stuff. Like yeah. it ended badly for these guys. It really did. Right. And right. that that's like a Cam shame. Cam Chancellor, the injury to Cam Chancellor. Like you know, like that just it was just one after one after one after one. And I guess you know they're bouncing back now. They had a couple great drafts, and now they're like you know in the playoffs again. And they're going to be a team that that's going to get better. But yeah, for both of these franchises, it was just really abrupt endings to again. Two really, really, really good teams um, that were so much fun to watch in this era. And I hope they mend it, and I hope we get – if there's a team who I would love to see, like a, a 30 for 30 on or like a last dance type, the Legion of Boom yeah. would be awesome to see. Um, and I would love to see that one. And I also – it's really something, I think, in any sport, when you win one and you're remembered. We usually remember teams who win multiple. Yeah. But you know, the '85 Bears won one, but they're remembered. And I um, and I think the Legion of Boom only winning one, but they're going to be talked about forever. And that shows you how special this team was, this time, this defense was. So I really hope like they did something that was really special. I hope they can come together and acknowledge what they did, right? And really not and get their roses. You know what I'm saying? But I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> That's gonna there have be been wild. some ugly things. There have been some ugly things, you know. But I'll say this. You, you've heard us talk about the 90s Cowboys. If Jimmy and Jerry can kind of do yeah, all right, Yeah, there's hope for anybody, I say. Very true. Very true. So hopefully that happens. I would love to see that again because they were, they were some great players. Um, but, yeah, Jeremy, man, I'm glad we did this episode because, you know, one, it was getting – it was great to be back with you as always, man. And um, mm. and this was fun. This was fun football to watch, and this was a fun episode do with you man absolutely so you know we're gonna get 2023 started off big so we're gonna be giving you some extra content coming uh we're excited to do it like we do and no one does it better than us so uh for the man the myth the legend mr jose ruiz i'm Darmy dove thank you guys for listening to bigger than the game with Darmy and jose peace